listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the day of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice. According to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived, her, lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Good morning. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so thankful Uh, to the Lord to have you here with us. I'm going to uh, pray and we are going to uh, dive in. And before I even pray, I'm just going to give us a minute of silence so that you can just ground yourself in a moment and just prepare your own hearts to hear God's word um, so that we can be attentive to what he may have to say uh, to us. Precious Father, we come to you together as a congregation starting this new year of corporate worship, desperate to to behold your beauty in your temple. Father, we want to experience your grace, to to experience your, your face, to be filled 
with you so that we can be a, a joyful, humble, fully submitted congregation to you. And so I pray, Father God, that 2024 will just be a, a year in which we just pursue your presence, seek your face, experience uh, your spirit aliving in us individually as well as corporately. And I pray this morning, Father God, that you would have grace upon us so that we can receive your word. I pray for your grace to preach your word to this particular people gathered in this service. And I pray, Lord, that you allow them, each person that's here, your precious child, to be attentive so that um, the seed would fall on fertile soil. So speak, Lord, even now. For your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, it is. It's 2024, y'all. Happy New Year. And peace be with you all. Wow, we, we made it. And we are joining people all over the world in making New Year's resolutions and setting us out goals, setting aside goals, right? Uh, that's a, a common thing to do, to make New Year's resolutions, to to set aside goals, to uh, do our best to present ourselves so that we can be the best version of ourselves. We, as a people, we are um, oftentimes uh, really fixated on growth and what does it look like to be the best version of ourselves. That's why self-help and self-improvement books are uh, a billion-dollar uh, yearly industry because we want to do better. And so uh, some here, we set those resolutions. We started those goals. And here's a fun fact. 80% of us will have failed at those resolutions by February. You're like, well, thank you. This is where my dreams apparently come to die. But the good news about this is that people... And studies have shown, research has shown that people who set New Year's resolutions and who set goals are, tend to be more satisfied. And they tend um, to uh, actually uh, reach more goals and, and be more productive. And so what that teaches us and tells us is that even though we set out to make goals and to hit these resolutions that we, we often don't first succeed, but it also shows us that um, we uh, do grow. And people who do set goals and who are intentional with growth um, can see results. And so today I actually want to talk to you about growth. The title of today's sermon is Growing Strong Under God's Grace. And we want to set out to answer the question, man, how do people grow? As you're setting out your goals, maybe uh, naturally or even spiritually this year, that's an important question. How do I grow? Um, how do I continue to, to move forth in becoming a, a person, the best version of myself or a more healthier version of myself? And today we're going to look at one word that I think is the key to spiritual growth. And just the key to growth in general, one word that I think is more important um, than any other word 
when it comes to spiritual growth. And that word is simply faithfulness. Faithfulness. And you can sub that word out maybe for a word that's like it, maybe diligence or resilience, consistency. But, but at the end of the day, that word is faithfulness. If I go and I buy a big, beautiful plant and I put it in my home or my office and I put it where it gets light and I start watering it um, and I'm doing everything I can to take care of it, that plant will grow. We talked about last week the importance of taking care of our roots, of watering those roots, of abiding in Christ so that we can bear fruit. The root comes before the fruit. But if I stop watering that plant, it's going to shrivel up and eventually it's going to die. The key to the growth of that plant is is me faithfully tending to its roots. And the key to spiritual growth is us faithfully and consistently pursuing Jesus. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author, says and calls it this. He calls it long obedience in the same direction. The key to spiritual growth, to discipleship, to apprenticeship is long obedience in the same direction. And and in a world that is just fixated on instant growth, this call to faithfulness, this call to long obedience in the same direction is important. We want growth to be easy. We want it to be fast and we want it to be controllable. But what we'll see today is that growth is often hard. It's often slow, and many times it feels like it's not in our control. Eugene writes this. He says this. He said, millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence of mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue and little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what early Christians called holiness. And today I simply want to call you to that patient acquisition of virtue that the Lord is is calling us as a church, yes, to grow, but to see that growth happens by long obedience in the same direction. And in fact, as we look at the book of Luke and as we look at this chapter, I think that that is a theme that we see in the life of each of the characters that's put before us. It's just this long obedience in the same direction. It's, It's assumed, it's kind of felt as we read it. Luke has given us three stories. The first is of of, of Mary and Joseph. And in that story, he's going to emphasize their faithfulness to keep the law as Jesus' parents. After that, we're going to meet a guy by the name of Simeon. And it's assumed that he is older, getting ready to see death. We read in the passage that after the Messiah is revealed to him, he says, I can now die in, in peace because I've seen the Messiah. And we can infer that he's probably older in age And what we can look at in his story is that there was just a faithful waiting for him as the Holy Spirit told him that he was going to see the Messiah before he died. And then in the third story today, we're going to see that there's this woman named um, Anna. And Anna, man, every church needs an Anna. She is faithful, at least 84 years old, 
praying and fasting, waiting on the consolation of Israel. And so as we look at these stories, we have to ask ourselves, like, why is Luke writing these stories? Why is he putting this here? And here's what we, what we see, that this is the most detailed account, along with the next story that we'll see when Jesus is in the temple, of Jesus' life as a child. He spends more time on Jesus' life as a child than any other gospel writer. And we're going to see next week Jesus is going to go to the temple and Mary and Joseph are going to lose him um, and they're going to come back for him. And Jesus is going to say as they're looking for him and say, hey, where were you? Um, Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? So the question is, why are these stories here and what does Luke want us to learn about them? I think, one, he wants us to see the snapping of faithfulness in all of these persons' lives. But I think as we look at the chapter as a whole, that Luke is doing two things. One, he is keeping up with this theme that Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. That John the Baptist is a great prophet. He's someone that we should celebrate. In Luke chapter 1, verse 80, we read, The child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So we don't have much about John the Baptist. After he's born, all we're told is that he just grew strong in the spirit. Next thing we're going to see about John, he's going to be in the wilderness preaching. But Luke does the same thing with Jesus. As well. After Jesus is born, Luke is actually going to give us more detailed accounts of Jesus. And each of these stories are going to be confirming to Mary and Joseph that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, that the story that Luke is about to tell to Theophilus is about him. It's not about John, because Jesus is greater than John. But then Luke is going to say this. Stay with me. Verse chapter 2, verse 40. He says, the boy, speaking of Jesus, grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Read that slowly. This is talking about Jesus. He grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's grace was upon him. Jesus grew strong under God's grace. But look, he's going to say a similar thing again. In chapter 2, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor, same word for grace, with God and with people. The next thing we see of Jesus is going to be a few chapters over in Luke, and he is a grown man. So from the age of 12 to the age of around 30, we just have silence. In Jesus' life, there's nothing to say about it. And I think Luke is simply summing up Jesus' childhood. He's summing up those silent years of 12 to 30 and just saying he just kept growing under God's grace. He grew in wisdom. And we see that in the next chapter, he's going to be in the temple filling his brain with the things of God and talking to religious leaders. He grew in wisdom. He grew physically. He grew in stature. And he grew as a a human, 100% God, fully God, fully human. He grew as a human in the way in which he related to God the Father and the way in which he related to other people. (laughs) Jesus' life is spectacular. His birth is amazing. We've been reading those stories From the age of 30 to 33, we're just going to see this fast, quick, amazing story of all the things that he did. But much of Jesus' life 
based upon the silent years, were normal, mundane, possibly unspectacular. But he was faithful in those years. Listen to me. Most of your life as a Christian and your apprenticeship under the authority of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is going to be mundane, it's going to be ordinary, it's going to be slow, it's going to be hard, it's going to be unspectacular. And God is calling you to be faithful. He is inviting us this year to grow by just practicing long obedience in the same direction. To not turn to the left or to the right, to not allow discouragement to take us off the path that he has for us, to not compare our lives to other people and believe the lie that everyone else has figured it out but us. He is calling us to fulfill our call by simply being faithful, by practicing long obedience in the same direction. Now, here's a theology of, of change, okay? we talk about growth. Now, this, of course, isn't holistic. I want to give it to you in two minutes because many of us, we're talking about growing spiritually this year, and here is how we believe as a church we grow. So we've talked about this before, this triangle of truth, of habits, and community. And if you want to grow in your walk in the Lord, uh, that we must submerge our heart and our mind in his word. We must abide in his truth, true truth. And we do that by knowing the scripture, by singing the scripture, by praying the scripture, by studying the scripture, by meditating and memorizing the scripture by singing it with one another, by opening our Bibles with each other, but we also do this by setting the appropriate habits to do so. We've talked about this before, how our habits form our loves. What you love, I can tell, and you can tell what I love by looking at what we commit ourselves to doing regularly, what we give our time to. Habits form what we love. But we also grow in community. As Christians, we're not called to be siloed. We are called to encourage one another and do life together, to sharpen each other. But I want to kind of add to that and say that we grow while doing these things by, by living a life of faith. It's this forward action in trusting him. We live a life of faith. Faith working itself out through love because we've been redeemed by God, loved by God. We respond to him in love. But also through the power of the Holy Spirit, and this happens over time. It doesn't doesn't happen like that. Virtue is not formed at a snap of the finger. It happens over time and through suffering. God forms us as we suffer. James chapter 1 Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you are met with trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness, the ability to stay put when under trial. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or another way to say perfect and complete is wholehearted. Mature, lacking in nothing. Now, with all of this comes what I'm talking about today. This is how God forms us, is this faithful obedience in the same direction. 
It's just moving forward in the same direction. I want to show you what that looks like by looking at these three snapshots and then give you two things to help cultivate this, this, this faithful obedience in the same direction. So first, let's look at Mary and, and Joseph, Jesus's parents. We see this in verses 21 through 24. And I think what Luke wants us to see is just that as parents, they were, they were faithful. They obeyed the law. They did what God called them to do. In verse 21, we read that they were faithful in presenting Jesus eight days old to be circumcised, as the law of Moses said, as a sign of being a, a covenant, a member of the covenant a family of Israel. They were faithful in naming Jesus, Jesus, as the angel had told them. They didn't say, hey, the angel told us this, but we like this name or this family name, and we'll just call him Jesus as a nickname. No, they named him Jesus. <laughs> they were faithful, it says in verse 22, and when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, was finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So here's what's happening, okay? And Moses is lumping, uh, lumping a number of things together, the purification of Jesus and also the dedication of Jesus. As a, as a woman, a Mary, and Jewish woman, would have had Jesus, given birth to Jesus. After that, she would have, for seven days, uh, been declared unclean according to the law. So she would have went through and began this purification process. Day eight, day seven, after seven days, she would have came out. Uh, her and Joseph would have circumcised Jesus. Then she would have had to wait 33 days to go to the temple and to dedicate Jesus as a child and as the firstborn, okay? And this is according to the law. You may remember when God saved in, uh, uh, Israel from Egypt, that he had Egypt uh, put uh, lamb's blood on the doorposts uh, because he was going to send a death plague in Egypt and kill the firstborn of uh, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, so that he would let his people go. All right. And so part of that is that the firstborn now of Israel would need to be presented to the Lord um, in the temple or back then the tabernacle. And so we see here that Mary is faithful to do that. She comes 33 days after and she dedicates Jesus in the temple. And then she was faithful, her and Joseph, to offer a sacrifice. Look at what it says. According to what is stated in the law, Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And we talked about this in previous weeks, how this would have been the offering of um, a family who was not, who didn't have means, who weren't wealthy. My whole point is, is that there's this faithful obedience that both Mary and Joseph demonstrate as parents. And we have to believe that this was their, their way of being. At 12 years old, we see that they're going to bring Jesus uh, back to Jerusalem during one of the festivals. And I think that it's safe to assume, it's not here in the text, but it's probably safe to assume that this was Mary's way of just being obedient, doing what the law of the Lord said. And, and I just want to encourage our parents here in, in 2024, as we talk about long obedience in the same direction, um, that this is just a great picture of what it means to be a godly parent. It's just to be faithful, faithful to God's word, faithful um, to his word before, before our children. We are to teach our children the ways of the Lord, but we're also to live that before them. I once had an OG tell me that it's not just what we teach, but it's also how we live and say, kids believe 
or, or they, they grow by what is caught as well as what is taught. And so if you're a parent here, um, this picture of Mary and Joseph and what we see in the scripture is this call for you to model Christ-likeness and to disciple your children, to rear them up in the Lord. And for some of us, um, we fall into one or two traps. For some, we're just kind of, we're lazy and we think that it's a sojourn job to teach our children the Bible and to do spiritual things. And we have maybe a, a hands-off approach to, to parenting. Um, but the scriptures don't give us a picture of, of apathy and hands-off approach to parenting. It gives us an active role of a parent to disciple their own children. We here at Sojourn, uh, Sister Rochelle and, and Kevin, we're here to supplement what you are doing at home and to help you to disciple your children in the way of the Lord. But we are not here as the chief disciples of your kids. And more is going to be caught than, than simply taught to your children. So it's not just saying it what they should do. It's actually modeling it. And others of us, we may fall into the trap of just being too hard on our kids and being so law-driven to what we do. We, we don't do it by grace, and it's not out of a, a desire to have the Lord shape them as he is shaping us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read these words. God tells us to Israel, these words that I am giving you today are to be in your in your heart. I love what he says in your heart, not simply in your head. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And he continues to, to talk to them about just submerging their house and, and saturating your house with the things of God and teaching the things of God to your children. Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where he says this, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I love that he mentions before bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, is to, to not do this in a way that angers them. In other words, to do this from a, from a price of, of, of love. Because some of us, we have a personality where we're just going to training. We think of a drill sergeant. Mary and Joseph was obedient to the Lord. And part of the way that Jesus grew um, as a, a human being is that he had parents that modeled faithfulness to the Lord. Second, we see the story of Simeon, and we see that uh, Simeon has just been, been patiently waiting on the Lord. Verse 25 says, there was a, a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. What a description of him, righteous and devout. And, and men of sojourn, I just want to say, like, out of everything that can be said of you at the end of your life, May it be said of you, may it be said of me, out of everything that people can say of us, man, that they pursued righteousness and that they were devoted to the things of God. He was righteous and devoted, looking forward to Israel's consolation, Israel's comfort, Israel's deliverance. 
And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and he began to speak. I love this picture of Simeon. I love how he is... Um, we, we don't know how long he's waiting, but he received a word from the Lord. And the word was that he would see Israel's Messiah with his own eyes. And so we don't know how many years this has been. Um, I think that we can assume that he's been waiting for a while. He's a man that's just being faithful in what he's doing. Um, it seems like his life probably isn't that spectacular. It's, it's mundane, just like all of our lives. And he is just doing and pursuing the face of the Lord. And one day he's just filled with the Holy Spirit and God tells him, go into the temple. And as he goes into the temple, into the sanctuary, he sees Mary and Joseph and he just grabs their baby. I mean, it seems like he don't even ask. He just, he's one of those people just start touching the baby, grabbing them, right? And Mary's like, hey, you got to put on a mask, right? It's, it's 2020. I'm just joking. It's not in your text, all right? That's Jamal's standard hood version, all right? Just using my sanctified imagination, amen? It's not in the text, all right? But, but he grabs the baby and he's just filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, listen, this is the Messiah. This is the one with whom Israel has been, been waiting on. And he just breaks out in praise. He's praising God. Listen to what he says. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you have, as you have promised. What does he mean, dismiss? In other words, he's like, I'm at peace. You have kept this promise. I have seen the Messiah with my own eyes. I'm ready to go home to be with you. For my eyes have seen your salvation, you have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. What is Luke doing here? Again, he is affirming his message that the angels have said that Mary has experienced in the presence of Elizabeth, that the shepherds have said that Jesus is him. Jesus is, in the most reverent way, that dude. He is the goat. And what do we learn about Jesus? That he is bringing salvation. In fact, that's what his name means. Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh saves. Jesus saves. And not only that, he is bringing salvation, but he is a light for all people. He is just not Israel's Messiah. He is also a, a light, a savior for the Gentiles. And God has prepared this for everyone. This is language that is very familiar in the book of Isaiah. Simeon, as he is writing these words, are following Isaiah's pattern. In Isaiah 42, Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant and coming Messiah by saying, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous person, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. This is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is a light 
to the nations, the nations who are living in darkness. And before this, in Isaiah 42, he's talking about the nations and how they are worshiping idols. He says the coming Messiah will free the nations from their idolatry. And he is going to be a liberator. He is going to save prisoners from their prison. He is going to break people from bondage. And if you are here today and you are starting this new year off at Sojourn because you feel lost and you feel like you are in darkness and you heard about a man named Jesus, you're here desperate today saying, I need to hear from God. I want you to know, look to Jesus. The whole story of Luke is about how Jesus is for the broken, for the poor in spirit, for those who are oppressed both physically and spiritually. He is here to open up blind eyes. And we see this in Luke. He's going to heal many people who are physically blind, but he has come to heal those who are spiritually blind, who do not know the way of the kingdom and who have not experienced the love of God the Father. Today, I want you to know that God is inviting you to know Jesus, to turn from your sin and to find full forgiveness of it. Your past, present, and future sin can be forgiven. God can save you. He can give you a hope that cannot be taken away from you. He has created you and fashioned you, and perhaps he is calling you today to enter into his family, to experience this love and your very purpose, the reason that he created you, to know Jesus Christ, the one who is fully God, who came to earth, who lived a perfect life, never committing a sin, who showed us what love is, who died in our place, absorbing all of God's holy wrath so that those who place their faith and trust in him can be declared right by God. He's saying, come to me today. Meet this liberator. Meet this Lord. Meet this friend. Become his servant and experience his joy. Simeon is just saying these words. We're going to deal with verse 33 to verse 35. Um, In just a a minute, he's going to speak a prophetic word that is going to just, just go through Mary. But we also see Anna's testimony. And Anna, I love Anna. Anna, Anna's the type of person and everyone just needs you. Everybody needs Anna in their life. Amen. Verse 36 says, there was also a a prophetess, powerful woman, strong woman, speaks on on behalf of the Lord, cut from the same cloth as as Deborah and Esther. And then he talks about um, her, her, her lineage. And he says, she was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. In some translations, the way that it says, it says that she was 84 years old. So she was married for seven years and has now been widowed for that entire time. And look at Anna. She did not leave the temple, 
serving God night and day with fasting and with prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Growing up, we um, had this term for those who were uh, basketball players or hoopers, and it was called a gym rat. All right. Gym rat. Okay. Not hood rat. Gym rat. All right. Some of y'all look like, oh, I said gym rat. All right. And this gym rat was a person who just lived in a gym. They just loved basketball. They woke up in the gym. They were in the gym all the time. I consider myself to be a gym rat. You just love basketball for the love of the game. And uh, it was just the love of the game. You found yourself there. As I read Anna's story, she was just a, uh, I'm not going to call her a temple rat, but she just loved the temple. <laughs> that's, that's inappropriate. That's not reverent. See, y'all thought y'all was going to get me, didn't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> Quick on my feet. Love the temple. And she loved being in the temple because she loved the Lord. And after she experienced this this loss of a husband, what did she do? She just committed herself to the Lord, to just praying and fasting for for Israel. And I I love this picture. I just see Simeon just holding up the Messiah and she's just minding her business. She comes in the temple and all of a sudden she just gets happy. All right. She's just filled with the spirit. The organist starts playing. She starts doing her dance and she just starts preaching. She just starts gossiping about God. She just starts going off and just testifying about his goodness. What, what a picture of virtue we see in this passage from Mary and Joseph to, to Simeon to, to Anna. And in all of them, there's just this sense, this culture that you are just, just kind of reading and assuming that this is just, just faithfulness. And it's a faithfulness that just flows out of a love for God. They, they are the remnant of Israel. So as we talk about cultivating this faithfulness, this long obedience in the same direction, man, I just, I just want to encourage you, people of God, embrace the mundane. Embrace the mundane just by being, practicing faithful obedience to the word of God. I want to encourage you to just wait on the Lord. The Lord has made promises to his people and all the promises of God are yes and amen. Like Simeon, just be faithful and expect him to to fill your heart and know that one day he will out let out, out fulfill your deepest desires. You will be totally fulfilled in him. He will answer your prayers by allowing you to gaze upon his face and to be in his perfect presence. Just be faithful and expect along the way for him to meet you where you are. The Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when you feel that your heart is cold and aching and you feel distant from the Lord, you get on your face, your hands and knees, and like Anna, you pray and you beg God, feel me. You fast. So how do you cultivate this long obedience in the same direction is two quick things. One, as you just discipline yourself into godliness. You just discipline yourself into godliness. 
There is a call to, to, to being active as a Christian. And if you are being passive, um, you will find yourself further away from the Lord, outside of his will, and not having joy. And so the Bible does call us to a, to a, to a discipline. Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value, listen, in every way. As it holds promise for the present life for now and the life to come. Later, he's going to tell Timothy to watch your life and your doctrine. And this is a call to you at the beginning of this new year to to practice discipline. Richard Foster, after decades of of teaching on spiritual formation all over North America, he concluded that most people think that they will grow to become more like Jesus by trying harder rather than by training. And some of us, we we are going to hear this message and there's going to be a temptation for us to just get up and to try hard. And that's not what God is calling us to do. Yes, He's calling us to have effort and maybe try harder than what we're trying. But he's saying, train, have a plan, write down a a vision for your life. And the way we do that is simply by by identifying areas that we want the Lord to, to help us to grow in and just praying over that area. Make a a small, actionable step to to help you to grow in that area. We talked about those those habits and how habits form our love. Maybe put it in the calendar. Share it with someone. Rely on God. Expect it to take time. Expect to fail. Expect to mess up. Expect to fall off of it for months and then remember and come back to it. That's part of growth. That's part of learning to walk. Which brings us to our our second point is to receive God's grace. I think that it's absolutely amazing, this verse of verse 40, when speaking about Jesus, who is the, the Son of God, fully God, it says, and the boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. This is Jesus, who is fully God. As a human, he experienced God's grace, God's unmerited favor, and, and whatever that looks like for, for him, who is, who is fully God. And if Jesus experienced God's grace, we need to experience God's grace in growing. You need this grace-driven effort to be reminded that as a believer in Christ, you are being fully formed and conformed into the image of God by the grace of God. That grace not only saves you, but it sanctifies you. That God loves you and he cares more about your growth and your sanctification than you do. And he's committed to your growth, your sanctification, and you being conformed into the image of Jesus more than you are committed to it. And at the same time, he is more patient, more merciful, more compassionate, more loving to you than you are to yourself. And he's not in heaven condemning you, 
but he is lavishing his love upon you every single morning. There's new grace and new mercy. And so how do you receive this grace? First is by trusting in Jesus. If you have never trusted in Jesus, the only way that you experience this grace that, grace that enables you to grow is by trusting in him. And you will experience this resurrecting power that makes you and forms you to look more like him. I mean, what a word Simeon says to Mary. Listen to this. His father and his mother, they were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Once again, it's, we've seen this multiple times now in their story. Well, Mary's just like, wow, everybody's saying like the same thing. This is amazing. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Mary, did you know that your baby boy? Indeed, this child is destined, listen to this, to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so what does Simeon say? Hey, Mary, listen, because of Jesus, there's going to be many in Israel who are going to respond differently. For some, they are going to fall. They are going to be crushed by this message because they are not going to turn and to trust him as God's Messiah. But others are going to place their faith and trust in him, and they are going to rise. They are going to rise. So how do you receive God's grace? It's by placing your faith and trust in Jesus and having the confidence that you will rise in him and with him. And then he tells Mary, listen, and you are going to, you are going to suffer. You are going to go through it. And we know that she is, that she's going to see her, her Messiah, her son crucified. And guess what's going to keep her through the suffering? Guess what's going to keep her through the ups and the downs? Guess what's going to keep her, even as he ascends into heaven, it's going to be God's grace. God is going to fashion and shape her as well. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that Mary, after the ascension of Jesus, is in a home with other disciples, praying and seeking the face of God, waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. We need God's grace to grow. And we need to seek his face. And as we seek his face, to remember how much he loves us and by faith to receive that love. In December of each year, I start uh, really doing a deep dive into the year before and just writing down things that went well, the things that didn't, looking at my schedule and just looking at a number of different areas in my life and starting to get ready to present that before the Lord. And I did that, and then uh, come the first week of January, I tried to apply that to my week, but I really don't start then. I start a couple weeks later because I want to try out um, these habits and these disciplines and to see what's healthy. And this week was that tryout week, and I am start the week running. I'm like, I made that resolution. I am going to be in that 20%. And about halfway through the week, I'm like, this is too much. And I just felt the Lord's grace reminding me that he is not after my performance. He's after my heart. And I began to tweak some things and to remind myself that I am going to 
to fall short this year, just like I did last year. But as long as I am falling forward in my Savior's arms, it's okay. And God's invitation to you today is to to fall into your Savior's arms, remembering that it is his grace that not only saves you, but it's his grace that sanctifies you and that in Christ you are fully loved and fully pleased. And so go with grace-driven effort from a place of love with nothing to prove and therefore nothing to ultimately lose because you are blessed in Christ Jesus. And go with an attitude that my goal is just to be faithful. And by God's grace to practice long obedience in the same direction and expecting God to meet me for it not to be a constant emotional high experience, but but for God to meet me in special ways as I go every now and then to remind me of his presence and to remind me to keep going. This is the way of the Christian life. Thanks be to God. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.